Hi, everybody. I'm uh, Jeff Scoop, and this is Beyond Barriers podcast. Tonight, my co-host is Red. Welcome to the show, Red. Thanks for having me. It's uh, great to be back. And our special guest this evening is Phoebe Rose from the UK. Welcome, Phoebe. Welcome, Jeff. Welcome, Red. Thank you for having me tonight. We're really uh, uh, proud and, and happy to have you on the on the program uh, this evening. Um, Phoebe, if we could start out, uh, tell us a little bit about your background. You have a really fascinating and interesting and, and actually unique story that I think our, our viewers and, and listeners will really uh, be interested to hear. Could you tell us a little bit about it? In case your viewers can't tell by this accent, I am as British as tea and scones. And I was between late 2015 to about late 2020, heavily involved with the English Defence League. And I'd never imagined in my wildest dreams that I would have ended up there. It was a bizarre and unique entry that I had into it because I was in Thailand in November 2015 and I was there for medical reasons. I'm a trans woman and I was there having lower genital surgery and I met a woman there who was there for the same reasons and we hit it off and we started a relationship and she's the reason that I ended up falling down the path of extremity. She was in a, she is an American. So we were having a long distance relationship when I flew back to Britain and she would send me videos and audio files and podcasts. But it, it started very slowly. It's a drip, drip, very slowly. And it was a lot of race and IQ. It was a lot of um, race and criminality. It was a lot of breaking down um, ethnicities into hierarchies. And it went from there and I slowly got into some and slowly more of the extreme stuff turned up and by about mid 2016 I was actively searching for people in my local area who were thinking the same way that I was thinking and I found people that were local and I went along to a couple of meet and greets that they had and it went from there and I was open to start with that I was a trans woman to start with. And I was wearing a Star of David to the first meeting that I went there. And they understandably questioned me. But by the end of the meeting, the guy I met said something to me. I can see you as the future because you say all the right things and you don't look like me. And from that point on, I had found what had been missing in my life, as I saw it. I've got a lot of pain in my life, a lot of things that have happened to me that I wouldn't wish to happen on anybody. And when somebody told me that I was important, when somebody told me that I was special, 
and they didn't give monkeys, as far as I was concerned, about who I was. That was it. I would have I would have done anything because I had found the embrace that I was looking for. I may have been finding it in a place that was not very healthy. But from that point on, I was in. And I was very deeply in. Wow. Um, Red, did you did you have a question? No, I'm, I'm very intrigued uh, that this is the, this is the first um, uh, time that I've, I've heard of somebody who has been very open uh, about themselves um, uh, the in their thing, journey, whether it's openly trans or openly Zionist and, and being a part of an extremist group. So for because me it's, it's the thing that I have the thing that I have to say is that the demographics of where I am based or was mm -hmm. based in Brighton on the south coast of the UK, it's known as the gay capital of Europe. It's known yeah. as the transgender capital of England. And it has an enormous Jewish population. Okay. So seeing people from the extreme right in Brighton they were likely to be from one of those groups anyway because of the way that Brighton itself is set up. Think San Francisco and the gay area, in, in the gay quarter mm -hmm. in San Francisco. Imagine going to a right-wing rally somewhere in San Francisco. Sure. Up there. That's <clears throat> the, the closest equivalent I can think of. But the way that Brighton is, it is such a sexually and gender and religiously diverse place that mm -hmm. it's not a shock to see somebody who is trans in Brighton. It's not a shock to okay. see people who are Jewish in Brighton, to see people who are Muslim in Brighton, to see people who are Hindu, as well as your non-trans people, your uh, Christian people, your atheists. Sure. Brighton is a big melting pot. And one of the things that did strike me was that this was rubbed off particularly on the people that were within Brighton and within the movement, that they had come to the conclusion that it is better to ally with people who think like us on the issues of race and re religion to a degree than it is to worry about things like who they're sleeping with or what they were previously. I had somebody say to me, I don't give a toss who you sleep with. I don't give a right. toss who you used to be. You say all the right things. You have the right answers. And you are one of the people who believes in this more than anybody else. And that is precious. That you have sure. uncooked yourself from, as he was calling it, the matrix and the mainframe. <clears throat> and saying that, yes, this is what we need. Because you don't look like us, you will reach more people. And there's definitely a concerted effort within the movement, particularly in more diverse coastal parts and in London, in England, to try to become more mainstream. They have seen the success that the national rally has in France. They've seen that success 
and they want to replicate it. And they know that looking like skinheads, looking like thugs, doesn't win you much mainstream appeal. They, I had somebody once say to me, given the right circumstances, you could be the British version of Marine Le Pen. And they are actively trying to move from this fringe organisation to a much more mainstream, more accepted organisation that can come from the shadows and latch onto the issues that they see as critical and make them more mainstream. In Britain, we have seen a significant movement to the right. We've left the European Union. There are moves to try to leave the Council of Europe. There are moves to try to scrap the Human Rights Act. There are moves to try to scrap the Equality Act. And these kind of things, when Tony Blair was in power, would have been laughed at. But now we have Boris Johnson in power, and Boris Johnson has allowed the extreme right in the UK particularly, and particularly within England, to flourish. He doesn't really care about Scotland because he sees Scotland as a lost cause. He sees Scotland as something that's going to be an independent country by 2040. And he's probably right. He also doesn't give a monkeys about Northern Ireland, as has been seen by the row he has caused over the border in the Irish Sea. But leaving the European Union, Boris Johnson becoming Prime Minister, incredibly hostile um, individuals to <clears throat> issues such as race, have been allowed to flourish within government itself. The UK released a report recently that said it was a post-racial society. And it was done that way, particularly to say to people, we don't need to bother with racism anymore. It's not a thing to worry about. They also had, um, what's the word I'm looking for? A diktat come down that said that issues such as race, sexual orientation, gender identity, they're all trendy. We need to keep focusing on the real issues, like white children being held back in school. And those were the words used. We need to focus on white children being held back in school. Because white privilege holds back white children because white privilege is used as a way of attacking white children. This is the government saying that. So do you feel that, um, and, and this may be an odd question, but do you feel that this is a... a a nuance that they're they're using these tactics to, to appear more nuanced to, to the public or do you feel that it's a sincere move in that in that direction depends what you mean by sincere i do not believe that boris johnson has ever done anything sincere in his life i do not trust boris johnson to look after a budgerigar let alone run the country no, no, no. What I meant is by, by sincere was, sorry to cut you off, but what I That's meant okay. by, by sincere was, do you believe that, and, and the reason I'm asking this is because in the United States, it's quite different in the, in the far right movement where um, 
trans individuals are typically not accepted. Um, people of Jewish descent in a lot of the far right or extreme right groups are not accepted, at least in the backgrounds um, in the neo-Nazi movements and things like that in some of the other groups that are. So do you feel that um, that they wel were welcoming you from coming from a sincere place that they they really um, believed in they were more accepting in that sense or do you believe that it was uh, just nuanced because they thought that they needed that for public approval i think it's a bit of both i think that they have understood that people are going to have slight differences and the feeling that i got mainly was behind closed doors we don't give a monkeys so there was a level of sincerity there and the thing that you bring up about people of Jewish descent, in the UK, extreme Zionism will happily stand next to and fly the Israeli flag at extreme right rallies. There was anti-Israeli um, actions, shall we say, that took place in the time when the latest flare-up in the Middle East took place. And if you look at some of the rallies that were taking place by some of the right-wing organizations and the far-right organizations, you will see the um, Star of David flag flying in and amongst that quite happily, not being attacked, not being ripped down, quite happily flying in that. And that's not a new thing. That's not something new in the UK because there are incredibly extreme members of Zionism within the UK that will happily ally themselves with extreme organizations on issues of race. Yes, in the okay. UK, there is extreme Zionism and the extreme right are far closer than most people would ever think because the simplest way to put it is that extreme Zionism will happily have an apartheid state of Israel. And in the UK that is seen as quite convenient because it gets the Jewish problem out of that place that they are, gets it out of the UK. Because if the extreme Zionists take over, not only will they further the causes that the white supremacists and the white nationalists want, but they will also say, we'll bugger off. We'll go to Israel. We'll leave your country to you, but we need to get to a point where we can get enough people to come over to Israel so we can do what we want to Israel. And it's seen as a co-prosperous way of achieving an Israeli state just for the Jews who are the correct Jews and leaving places that aren't the Middle East to the people who they consider should be there. So it's a movement towards where there's enough people who are prepared to say yes I'm happy to leave and go to Israel but at the same time 
change Israel when they get there to be the correct kind of Jewish state. And the way that they do that is by allying with the people that want them gone because they want to go. So they work together to help get more people into both causes to then, when it all flourishes and the day comes, they'll leave, you can run your country, we'll stay over here, just leave us alone. Very interesting. Um, it, uh, that, and that, so that was, a, that was a complex question that I threw at you there. <laughs> um, another, another thing uh, that I think would be interesting for a lot of our listeners and viewers is um, going back, like um, when, you first, when you first feel like, um, first of all, like how long have you been, have you been out of the movement? And what do, you, what do you believe were some of the driving factors that, that brought you into, you know, that made you susceptible to, to something like this? I've been out of the movement about 10 months now, maybe 11 months. I can't really put a date on when I've left, but it's not been long. I still have a lot of anger in me. Still have a lot, a lot of frustration. I still have a lot of learning to do. But I've had a lot of things that are traumatic events throughout my life that people ignore because of my class status within the UK. So in the UK, I come from a fairly well-off middle-class family with a married heterosexual set of parents. And I have a brother. And my father was an abusive man. My father would hit me on a fairly regular basis. I was not the image of the child he wanted. My brother, fine. My younger brother, fine. My mother, fine. Just me. And no one takes you seriously in the UK or, or no one took you seriously in the UK in the 1990s and 2000s. If you came from a background like I had and said that you were experiencing abuse at home because the notion was it doesn't happen. That's only on council estate. That's only on troubled families, broken homes. So I grew up in a fairly toxic household aimed at me. And I had an undiagnosed autism throughout my whole life, autistic, and that never went diagnosed until I was in my mid-twenties. So I went to school and I didn't perform as well at school as I could have done because nobody picked up on the facts that I am autistic. So that, coupled with me being in a toxic environment at home, to undergoing my transition and then entering into a relationship where I was radicalized, building upon another trauma that I had before I went out to Thailand, where I was raped, 
and I still have an incredible amount of anger in that that I was somebody in need of a lot of comfort and for want of a better word I needed some love in my life I needed people that were going to accept me I needed people that were going to say yeah you're okay yeah it's all right it's fine and I found that within the movement I found people that were accepting of me I found people that wanted to hear from me and wanted me to be the center of attention that I've never had in my life so I went from somebody who was just angry to somebody who had a purpose, to somebody who had meaning, to somebody who was liked, to somebody who was seen to be on the right side of things. And to be told that I was on the right side of things, not to have bricks hurled at me, but to have a handshake and an embrace was incredible. I had never experienced warmth like that from other parts of my life. All I had experienced from other parts of my life was me being viewed as a failure, me being viewed as a problem, or me getting in serious, serious trouble through the actions of other people. Sounds like there's there's a lot of a lot of trauma in, in your background that uh, in uh, red uh, you know this is something you speak on a lot as well with the, yes. the trauma factor. Go ahead. No, I was going to say that uh, I I'm, I'm right there. I uh, the trauma factor is definitely a, a key <clears throat> uh, instance to uh, that can excuse me that is a large driving force for um, a good portion of of uh, folks who join a, a radical movement. Uh, so, uh, Phoebe, if I may ask, what has ultimately uh, helped you decide or, or uh, I, I guess, sway your opinion, if you will, to want to remove yourself from that uh, radical lifestyle? My grandmother died. Okay. The only person... Sorry, let me start there. The only generation in my life that showed me any kind of kindness was the generation above my parents. I don't have grandparents on my father's side. They died before I was born. So I had on my mother's side, grandmother and a grandfather and a step-grandmother. And pneumonia killed my grandmother. And that was the domino that started me to start realizing things. And that wasn't until late 2018. And the dominoes didn't start falling until mid 2019. And I went to go and see a therapist for some grief counseling and she turned me away. She told me to get out because she knew who I was. She refused 
treat me. And her reason was, I know what your activities are. I know who you are. I'm not prepared to have you come to my practice. Please get out. And then a few months after my grandmother died, my step-grandmother died. And then a couple of months later, my grandfather died. Okay. And the relationship that I was in, that I've mentioned that began in Thailand, the one that radicalized me, she couldn't handle how I was mourning. She couldn't handle how I was dealing with death. So the relationship ended. I decided to end that relationship because I need, I knew that I needed some kind of support and it wasn't there. And the person that I considered to be the woman that I was in love with, she couldn't handle how I was dealing with severe trauma. And I withdrew quite a lot. And then I went to my last rally in about February of 2020. And I was still believing in the movement. And then everything stopped in March whole world stopped. Absolutely everything stopped. And I realized what I had lost. I realized I'd lost the three family members who I loved to pieces, all three of them. And I still think about them on a near daily basis. And I'd lost the relationship. And then I was furloughed from my job, so I was at home. So for those of you who are unaware, in the UK, furloughing is a government scheme where you are paid a percentage of your salary to stay at home during the pandemic, which is not the same as furloughing in America, where you're not paid and you're told to stay at home. And I had a lot of time on my hands. And then it all hit me like a brick wall and I felt physically sick and I was physically sick. And then I wondered what on earth I was doing with myself. And for about a month, I was in a bizarre haze where I was feeling really sick physically sick about what I had lost, about what I had been doing for the past few years. And I reached out to another therapist. This therapist was happy to see me. And we started to work on some of the things. We went back to my childhood, we went back to the rape. And she managed to extract that I had a lot of anger. She got me to see that I was angry. And 
when the restrictions started to lift the first time around in June, I said to a couple of people that were still in the movement, I need to step back. I need to work on myself. And then all of a sudden, like a switch, I asked myself why I was associating with these people. I thought, what, what was the glue holding us together? And I couldn't, and I couldn't answer that question anymore because I'd been detached from it because the pandemic had come along because I'd started to break down some of the things that had happened to me. When people say that you hit rock bottom, you don't know that you're actually at rock bottom at that point. And I think April 2020 was the rock bottom of my life. And in about July of 2020, August of 2020, I said, please stop inviting me. Please stop inviting me to these events. And then in September, I received a death threat because they took that as an affront. What all of that is, is, uh, is, is incredible. But what really, really is a, is a kick in the pants is that the fact that you reached out to a therapist and they t literally turned you away. And I know there's a lot of social workers and a lot of uh, people that work in trauma that, that listen to this show, that watch this program. And I think they're going to be surprised to hear that because I, I believe that's, first of all, it's unethical. It's, it's completely yeah. unethical. The fact that they had the, I don't know, we should say balls on the, on the show or not, but the fact that they had the balls to say that to your face on, on one hand, on one hand, it's like, that's a therapist you don't want anyways. Right. But when you're at that point that you need help and you're reaching out for it, they got that degree. They went into that field to help people. It doesn't matter who you are, what your background was, what you believed in, what orient, sexual orientation, none of that matters. They're supposed to be helping you. And you went and were turned away in, in a needing in a time where you needed somebody the most. That is just reprehensible and, and absolutely incredibly disgusting. And uh, absolutely. I, I feel like someone like that here, and I, I could be wrong, but I feel like somebody like that should not be in that field. They should not be doing that kind of work. Effectively, what they said was, if I'm seen to be treating you, I will lose other clients. How would, how would they know? How would, how would even their other clients know that? Because so, you can't talk about that. That was effectively, effectively what was said to me was, right. I know who you are. I know what you do. I know what you've been involved with. I want nothing to do with you. I want nothing to do with that. And it will be bad for my image and bad for my reputation if I'm seen to be treating you. Please don't darken my doorway again. Get out. Jeff, to answer your question, it happens a lot in the States, believe it or not. And what happens is, and, and, and I, I can't speak for across the ocean there. I can only speak for what happens here at the States. Uh, when you go to uh, a counselor's office, a therapist's office, whatever the case may be, there is a general open waiting room. Yeah. So if people recognize you if you're a prominent media figure, whatever the case, people are going to see you and eventually they connect the dots. But you're absolutely correct. The therapists themselves are not allowed to disclose that to their other patients because uh, at least here uh, in the States, that is a uh, direct violation of the HIPAA um, it would uh, be, privacy um, uh, laws. A, a, a direct violation of the Medical Records Act in the UK. Yeah, uh, so, yeah very similar was, to HIPAA. 
But what they were saying was, if you were seen coming in and out, if you were seen in the waiting room, right. if you were seen yeah. around this, if you were seen driving up and driving away, it'd be bad for reputation. Yeah. I don't want to treat you. Please go away. Please I, find somebody else. I myself had experienced something very similar um, uh, through my journey of uh, seeking um, assistance with, with mental health. <clears throat> wow. You see, you look shocked, Jeff. I I, I am. I, I feel like, <laughs> and, and the fact that... <laughs> do, you feel, do you feel a bit green and a bit wet behind the ears? <laughs> I, I, I'm, I am just blown away that that would be, and, and that was one of the other questions th that I, that I had for you, because I have seen uh, statistics and figures that um, trans individuals have faced more discrimination and more um, hate attacks and things like that. I don't know about there, but here there's been some st stats and figures that there's been more attacks on trans individuals than any other category um, race. As a, as a as a rate, as a rate per, so it's broadly the same. Yes, yeah. that's quite high. But what here's the amazing thing was that whilst I was in the movement, people would say, "Well, you don't need to worry about that because if it happens to you, we'll find out who's done it." Yeah, because you're you're one of the people on the right side of this. Right. You're mm. one of the people who's here on the doing the good work, making sure that we have a clean society. Mm -hmm. you, you know, but, the, go ahead, I'm sorry. But the amazing thing was though, that some of them were quite happy for me to sit down with the science on it. I'm quite right. happy to sit there with the science on it. And I'd say, look, it's not something I've chosen. Here's the science to say that. Here's the psychology of it, the psychiatry side of it. Here's the physiological side of it. It's not something that I've chosen, something I've never wanted. People were quite happy to sit down with me and go through the science with it because quite a lot of these people had only ever met the stereotypes, which are mm -hmm. your blue-haired, radical left-wing brick-thrower that's going to picket them. When they finally saw somebody that was speaking like them, talking like them, happy to sit down with them, and they were, they were blown away. Right. You know, and uh, over here, um, again, speaking from the, the experience uh, the, that I had uh, within the ra uh, radical movements, um, more more, uh, more or less the neo-Nazi movement, uh, generally, if, if you were uh, found to be uh, gay or lesbian, you either didn't say anything about it and hit it, or you were targeted. Uh, that, that was... Uh, some former, um, I don't know if I should dare call them friends. Uh, we were friends at one point in time. Associates. Uh, a wonderful. Yes, thank you. Um, at the time, they were seeing each other. They they were a lesbian couple, and um, they they were very um, active in the in the skinhead ideology and in, in the movement. Uh, however, they weren't uh, really able to get into any groups because uh, it wasn't. Uh, they weren't exactly quiet uh, about their uh, sexual preference and, and what they chose to do. Um, and of course it was very frowned upon, but um, you know, so it's, it's intriguing to me to see how similar, how their similarities, but yet the stark differences between the, the, the 
the core the, beliefs, if you will. The number one thing that I found was that they didn't care as long as you didn't go over the top, didn't start shouting about it. The number sure. of married men that I had an affair with whilst I was in the movement was through the roof. They didn't care. I didn't care. I was getting a lot of sex. Sure. <laughs> but the number of married men in the movement that would happily sleep with me I mean fairly attractive I think young woman yeah sleep with you and they were like yeah why not some of them saw it as a bit of a something exotic and some of them were just like you're attractive sure. let's just have sex did have one person say, so what's different downstairs? And I went, well, why don't you find out? So we did. <laughs> this show is treading on new territory tonight, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's... Um, beyond barriers, really is beyond barriers. Really beyond barriers <laughs> Absolutely. <tonight. laughs> Absolutely. Good one. <laughs> But uh, certainly, and that, and that is fascinating um, in, uh, to, to hear that, and, and it's really interesting as well. Um, but certainly, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but certainly you must have faced some discrimination, maybe not in the movement perhaps, but in society in general, have you had? Oh, absolutely. I've taken people to court. I've taken people to court for harassment because of me being trans. In the movement, there was some people that were hostile to us, and of course there were. But there were some people that were of the opinion, so what? And there were some people of the opinion that, oh, hello, oh, hello, oh, oh hello. But yeah, you got some hostility from it. And it was just like, yeah, okay, you don't like me. I don't like you either. Now, off. You were saying uh, before the show something about, um, and I was going to ask you about this anyways, but um, like going through the airport that you were, uh, had dealt with special security oh, yes. uh, issues. And <laughs> oh, yes. If you, want, if you could tell us about that, that'd be interesting. Last time I flew, no, whilst I was still in the movement, I flew to America. Because I, I was still in the movement, but I wasn't, I was still in the movement, just trying to get my dates right in my head. And there was a, and I, was, and I flew into O'Hare. Direct flight to O'Hare from Heathrow. So I got to Heathrow. Now I, I always know that security is a git. Made sure I had my Esther in place. Yes, it took longer than it should have done, but I knew to get the Esther in place because normally you can get an Esther on the same day. Oh, no, 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 no. My Esther took the full 30 days to come through. So that came through. So I check in. And when I check in, just at the um, check-in counter, I tried to use the online check-in. Didn't work. So then I used to try to use one of the screens. Didn't work either for me. Go over to the check-in. I know where Plum. this story's. I know where this story's going because I've been on those lists in the past. So pull over. <laughs> so I go over to the. So I go over to the human. 
and they say, could you please wait there a minute, madam? And then that second person comes in from behind. And did you pet the bag yourself? Yes. What's the purpose of your travel to America? Tourism. Are you planning on meeting anybody in America? Yes. Could you please let us know where you're staying in America? Yes. I've, and I, at this point I said, this information is already contained in the Esther that I have filled out. I've already filled out this, so I have to put down an address where I'm going to be. No, no, we need you to confirm that. Okay. Give them the same details of the person I'm going to see. And then they say, so do you have any hand luggage? Yes, just, just one bit of hand luggage. And how much in the hold? Just, just the one bit in the hold. Now, before you put this in, we need you to read this enhanced declaration. Okay. And that's that. And then they check me in. They give me a physical ticket, actual physical ticket, because I've been through it in the fridge. And then get to go the other side. So I've turned up four hours early. Now I've got three hours till I take off. Beep! Metal scanner again. Beep. And I go, not wearing anything. So go back again. Do the wand and everything. Nothing on there. They pull me to one side anyway. Empty out the entire contents of my hand luggage. Empty out the entire contents of my handbag. Take my, get me to take my shoes off. Swap my shoes for explosives. And then they said, we'd like you to just step over here with us. I said, why? Well, you've been randomly selected for enhanced screening. How have I now? It's not random when you get those paper tickets. When you have to go to the oh, desk, no. it's not random at all. Over here, it's S's that are on the bottom <laughs> and the right. But uh, go ahead, please. Yep. And not it's, random. Could you please step over this way? Yes. Can I ask what this is in aid of? Say I had problems at the desk and it's just enhanced security measures that are randomly assigned to individuals. Anything to stay calm? <clears throat> stay calm. So they take me to this side room and they say, we'd like you to take your bra off, please. Pardon? Female officer there, we'd like you to take a bra off, madam. Okay, so I slip my bra off without taking my top off. And then they swap my bra for explosives. Wow. And then they give it back to me. They say, thank you for your cooperation in these enhanced security matters. Carry on about my day. Then I get to the gate and I get yanked aside again at the gate. And I get screened again. And I get asked more questions. Only this time the person asking the questions is a man from the UK border agency. And there's also somebody from America. 
sitting there asking me questions to one side of everybody. And then they say, well, we need to just ask you a few more questions because unfortunately you've been selected for random enhanced screening. They swab my shoes again for explosives. Holy cow. And then I answer all their questions. And then he physically stamps my passport that says pre-approved entry. What that actually means is (laughs) we've spoken to this person up the wazoo and we can't find any reason not to let them in. Jeez. So your, your random screening actually meant you were on a list already. But, oh, absolutely. Yeah, of course. So, <laughs> my gosh. Yeah, I, I, I can identify with that. That's happened a number of times to me as well. What message would you have um, for, for the you know, LG, LGBTQ and trans uh, community as far as if there was others um, out there that are watching the program that might be getting involved in one of these extreme organizations or thinking about it or you know, what message would you, would you have for them in summary? In summary, the number one thing I would say is always listen to a plurality of voices. Just listen to a plurality of voices out there. Yes, a lot of people out there are going to be opposed to your mere existence. And there's going to be a lot of people there that are not going to understand your existence. And you're going to experience a lot of negativity just for existing. But you need to seek out the resources that also say that you are a valid individual. There is science out there that says you are a valid individual. Don't just bathe in the negativity. Don't let that negativity marinade in your psyche. Don't let it eat away at you so that you end up going from somebody who is a target of discrimination and a target of hate to somebody who is then perpetrating the hate because if you allow yourself to sit in and marinate in all of the negativity around you without finding an escape from that whether that be you're in an abusive household whether that be that you are in a toxic work environment whether that be that you're in a difficult housing situation yes they are very difficult situations to get out of but you should always try to reach out to positive influences. I unfortunately found positivity in the movement, but I realized that if I had dealt with the issues that were underlying before that, then I wouldn't have ended up falling into the positions that I had fallen into. So don't bathe and marinate yourself in the negativity because that negativity is the most dangerous thing that you can have to going down a route that I went down. As I say earlier, I mentioned trying to leave the UK. Then I landed in America. My bag mysteriously was one of the last bags on the carousel. And when I did open that bag, when I got to 
my destination, there was a card inside that said, this bag has been inspected by the Transportation Safety Authority. Oh, has it now? Oh, has it now? But taking a step back, I get off the plane and I try to use the electronic system that they try to get every incoming passenger to use. It doesn't work for me. Surprise, surprise. Call somebody over. Oh, yes, your things are done, but we just need you to go and see a human as well. He does that randomly to about 20% of people. <laughs> right. I, I stand in the queue. These queues are enormous. These queues are absolutely enormous. I thought we Brits could queue, but you Americans can create a queue like none other. So I eventually, after about 45 minutes of standing in this queue, get to this person who then takes my fingerprints again. Who then photographs me again? So I've already given my fingerprints and my photograph on the machine. So then I give my fingerprints again and I'm photographed again. And I'm asked all these questions that I already know the answer to. And then they ask me something curious. Are you planning on bringing anything into the United States that would be liable to customs duties? Could you explain that to me? Are you bringing in any gifts or products that may be chocolate, alcohol, jewellery, etc.? Well, yes, I've, I've got some alcohol as a gift. I said it's really low value stuff. It's only like $250 worth. Oh, could you please follow my colleague who will then sort out how you're going to pay the requisite duties on that. I said, to be certain of this, I'm going to need to collect my bag first. Oh, that's okay. They'll accompany you to collect your bag. And I said, well, is this me being, are you giving me immigration clearance into America? Oh yes, this isn't immigration anymore that's dealing with you. This is now, um, Customs. This isn't border protection. This is customs. This isn't immigration and customs enforcement. This is CBP. So it went from ICE to CBP. Stand there. Suitcase eventually comes off. We go to a side room. And I get out the, the alcohol. A few bottles of wine and some British beers and stuff. And I knew that I'd probably have to make some kind of declaration, but never did I think that I'd be bullseyed and told you've got to pay for it. So he said, I need to see proof of purchase. Luckily, I still had in my purse the receipts. The receipts. And he says, so I'm going to now do some conversions and some calculations. And then I'm going to work out how much you owe. And I said, that's fine. He said, you do know you have to pay immediately. I went, okay, but how do I pay? Because I said, I don't mean to sound 
obstructive here, but I don't want to just hand you cash. I want it done officially. Oh, yes, don't worry about that, madam. We'll take you over to the payment section where it's all done securely. Works it out. It comes to a little over five dollars and sixty cents. <laughs> wow. In federal import duties. <laughs> he said, those are exempt because they're under a certain volume. That's exempt, but you've got to pay on that one, that one, and that one. And here's all the paperwork to prove it. And you need to sign here and sign here and sign here. Oh, good grief. That, that's insane. <laughs> so after I landed, he then, I then went through customs, went through, got my bag, went through this human being, went through this window. It was about two and a half hours later. Oof. And then I was able to exit O'Hare International Airport. Holy cow. That five five dollars wow. lighter, <laughs> right? Right. Five dollars lighter. My gosh! Wow. So, so that was so uh, that was federal, and then and then because my final destination was the great state of Michigan, and it wasn't staying in Illinois, they had then told the Michigan state authorities that I had this stuff coming in, and they then told me that when I got to Michigan, I had to phone up them and then pay them. The duties. Whoa. Oh, good grief. They wow. had clearly decided they were going to make it as difficult as they humanly could for me to get into or want to return to America. That's, that's saddening to hear that that happened. Over a few bottles of wine and some beer. Good old Uncle no, Sam. They got to get their cut, you know. But the total time that I took just dealing with the authorities was about four to five hours. Wow. Because I had the inconvenience of not being able to check in. I had the inconvenience of security. I had the inconvenience of the gate. I had the inconvenience at immigration. I had the inconvenience with um, paying customs duties. And then I had to make, and then I made sure that I phoned up the state of Michigan when I got into the state of Michigan and paid the state of Michigan. And the state of Michigan wouldn't allow me to pay online. I had to go into Detroit to one of the places in Detroit are pay physically with money and get a receipt from them. Oh, wow. Thankfully, I did not fly from Chicago to Michigan. I took a train and they didn't care. Amtrak didn't give them monkeys. Just, I was flying because I was already in the country, I'm assuming, but Amtrak didn't care. baffling absolutely baffling red you had absolutely. a uh, you had a final question i think i i do so uh what advice or or words of wisdom if you will would you have for somebody who's maybe not um involved in the 
uh, LGBTQ community who may be watching this, uh, who, if they want to maybe know more, uh, not necessarily so much just about your story, but um, in general, maybe about uh, how to understand, uh, excuse me, how to understand uh, transgenderism and, and the, the do's and don'ts, if you will, what would you recommend to them? If you want to hear more from me, I run an interview series where I interview trans people about their transitions. Okay. So it's my way of trying to humanize trans people. Sure. So you can try and find me on there. But the simplest things I would say were Google is your friend. YouTube is your friend. Do not follow anybody on Twitter. It is a minefield and a cesspit. Do not follow anybody on Instagram. It is a minefield and a cesspit. Right. But the thing that I would say to individuals who are curious, mm -hmm. genuinely open-minded, is to find a charity that specializes in either transgender people or general mm -hmm. LGBTQ plus people and say to one of them, I would like to know more so I can educate myself to be a better human being and understand the issues. And you'll be amazed at just how open they are to say, yes, we'll happily help you because sure. their <clears throat> mission, whilst their mission is to help individuals in crisis or help individuals who are homeless, they also want to make a more tolerant, open and welcoming society. Sure. So if you find a charity in your local area, that is pro-LGBT, make sure you check the charity out because there are some storefront charities that aren't. I would advise that you avoid anything LGB alliance. Just avoid that to start with. Okay. Because they are not an organization that has the best interest of the LGBT community at heart. They are a shell organization Okay. that specifically excludes trans people and they are regularly called out for making transphobic and uh, trans exclusionary comments and they are regularly called out for making biphobic and bisexual exclusionary comments and treating um, lesbians and gays as either gold star lesbians or platinum gays and nothing in between. Before I say anything here, what I am saying is opinion on LGB Alliance. They are a charity recognized by the Charity Commission in the UK. And what I have just said is my opinion based on my personal research. <laughs> that is my please, that is my come and sue me if you like, but guess what? I'm, I've got opinion and I've got the UK law on my side. <laughs> <laughs> right. But yes, if you you should always look into the charities first. If you see things sure. that that's talk about we help convert LGBT <clears throat> people, still work right. here of them. If they are right. saying we help outreach projects with LGBT youth, with LGBT who are homeless, with LGBT who are sure. aged, those are the organizations you want. But avoid organizations <clears throat> that are not with the best intentions and they're usually right. fairly easy to find on the surface. Absolutely and to expand on that for our viewers uh, here in the states uh, if 
she's right. Google is going to be your best friend. Uh, you can, uh, in a lot of your major metropolitan areas, uh, whether it's Orlando, Miami, um, Detroit, um, Cincinnati, Dallas, York. Fort Worth, Cincinnati. yes, exactly. You can Google um, uh, LGBTQ uh, centers or organizations, and there are a lot of pride groups in and around these major metro areas, and even into the smaller cities and smaller towns now. Um, that are you can find them on Facebook and things like that, and you can reach out to them. Um, however, be be aware, uh, guys, that when you do, they may not reach back out immediately. Some will, some won't. Um, and th th there is a degree of caution from them and understandably so. And they a lot of make these sure are run by volunteers. Sorry, to cut, a lot Correct. of these organizations no, right. are run by volunteers. They're not yep. paid <clears throat> members of staff. They're not Absolutely. going to be your National Center for Transgender Equality. Right. They're not going to be your Trevor Projects that have a large right. staff these are smaller organizations are going to be run by individuals. They're going to be run yep. by a small committee. They're going to be voluntary. People are going to have day sure. jobs. Absolutely. And, you know, and, and if they're, if they're ex exerting some caution with you, please understand that it's nothing personal against you. It is indeed for the safety of their staff and their members. We'd like to thank you for coming on the, the program. It was very enlightening and, and uh, you know, we hope that it helps with some of the stigma in society from different corners of society against uh, or about the LBGTQ community. Yeah. And uh, your story was really fascinating and we really appreciate your courage and, and strength coming here to share that uh, with us today. So uh, from all of us at Beyond Barriers, thank you so much for, for coming on the program and Appreciate it. It's, been a, it's been a real pleasure to speak to both of you and it's been a real pleasure to be able to try to make some positive difference in society as opposed to trying to test society apart at the seams that I was doing for a good half a decade. And whilst what I'm about to say may sound like the most nihilistic thing ever, it's the thing that drives me every day. I have made peace with the fact that I may be assassinated one day, so every day I want to make as good a day as possible and help as many people as I can.